of David. And just as you read through it, it has a, a general tone of prayer for help from enemies, which is something that uh, we've seen quite a few times in David's psalm, prayer for help in times of distress. Uh, there's this sense of sin in David's life as he's writing it, and there's the hand of the Lord is heavy upon him, and he's just aware of his sin. And so just the time of desperation and awareness of sin leads to just some times of humility and confession and crying out for pardon from sin, crying out that the Lord would preserve him from future sin. And, uh, and then there's just cries for divine guidance in these times of suffering. So it's a 22-verse psalm, which is one of our longer ones that we've gone through so far in the psalms as we're working through it. Um, read a new commentary this week, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, where A.P. Ross writes that in Psalm 25, David confidently turned to the Lord for divine instruction and forgiveness of sin because of his mercies for Israel. Because of the mercies that God had for Israel, he had this confidence to be able to cry out to the Lord for mercy for himself. And I remember when we studied Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, and we looked at God's sovereignty and God's sovereign plan for Israel. And I remember one of my sermon titles from clear back then was God's faithfulness to Israel, transposing that to God's faithfulness to me. God was faithful to graciously call Jacob, and he's faithful to graciously call me. And in the same sense, David's looking at God's mercy to Israel, and he's like, I need that same mercy as the king of Israel. Bring that mercy to me, Lord. Something else that A.P. Ross writes is that the psalm is a meditation on the character of God. So maybe as we're going through tonight, if you're a note taker, if you've got a pen, just Maybe circle anything that just shows the character uh, of who God is. Uh, and that character will prompt a humble confession and, and, and supplication uh, for sin and for prayer. And then one final thing here that he writes is, the psalm is an acrostic. You guys know what an acrostic is? It's like, like for instance, if you ever wondered what grace means, G-R-A-C-E, good way to know is, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. That's a good way to remember it. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay? Uh, so it's just kind of going through the alphabet, perhaps, or maybe just going through the letters of a word and then writing out words off of that to help you remember things. Um, uh, Psalm 119 is kind of an acrostic where it, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, every stanza. And so the same thing happens in this psalm. We don't so much see it in the, in the English language, but each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Kind of useless fact for us tonight, kind of, except that it's creative and I like it. So there you go. Um, and so the first section, I'm just going to divide it up into two main parts. Uh, the first part is verses 1 through 7 where David just cries out for guidance. Anybody here tonight, you come to Wednesday night Bible study, and there's just, you need guidance. I was talking to Darren Kessie at the uh, men's retreat, and he's the guidance counselor at the high school here. 
And uh, kids go to him like, how do I go to college, you know, <laughs> or what do I do about this or that? And uh, the Lord is like our guidance counselor here tonight. So nobody, nobody's coming in here for guidance tonight? A couple people? Okay, cool. Is that a rhetorical question or no such thing as rhetorical questions in this church? <laughs> um, uh, and so, or maybe pardon? Maybe is there anybody coming here and you would, just, you would just be open enough to say, man, I'm just coming before the presence of the Lord just for pardon tonight. I just see my life, I see my struggles, I see my sin, and I just, I know it's not good, I know it can't stay there, and I know I need forgiveness and mercy, and this psalm is for you tonight. You need guidance, you need pardon. Here we are, praise God. Not me, though, I don't need either one of those things. Oh, I need both of those things, for sure. And so verse 1 To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's where our first song came from tonight. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. I like the literal translation that I made up just by looking at the Hebrew dictionary. Are you ready for it? I lift up and bear my life to you. I lift up and I just bear my life to you. I set my affections to you. That's what's being said right there. I lift up and bear my life and set my affections to you. So as you come for guidance tonight, as you come for pardon, this has got to happen tonight. There's got to be a realness before the Lord, a transparency before the Lord, just an open and nakedness before the Lord. I lift up and bear my life and all my affections. They're laid open before you. Verse 2, Oh my God, I trust trust in you. Take some trusting in the Lord to just lay it all bare before him, huh? I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. And isn't that a cry as you bear all before the Lord? All right, Lord, I'm going to be vulnerable here in front of you. You know, and sometimes that that produces tears. Sometimes that produces wailing. Sometimes that produces moaning. And Lord, just don't let me be ashamed as I open up here. And Lord, what about when other people see me real before you? What about my enemies? They're going to want to use that realness. They're going to want to use that vulnerability. They're going to want to use that transparency to put me to shame. Lord, I just got to trust you in this. I just got to lay it all before you and trust you that you won't, you won't let me be put to shame before you, God. I'm confident in that, Lord. Um, You won't humiliate me or cause me to feel ashamed. Um, I just, as I was studying yesterday and today, I started marking in orange throughout my notes every time there was a repeated word or idea. So that's just a good lesson for those of you that want to learn how to study the Bible. Wherever there's repeated words in like a text, that's just like a theme that the Lord's trying to get across or, or that the writer is trying to press there. And quite a few times we have the word ashamed. In verse 3, indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Or let no one who uh, puts their hope in you be ashamed. Rather, let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without a cause. Something that we see in the scripture is that when someone hopes in the Lord, 
The Lord won't let them be ashamed. The Lord takes all the shame upon himself at the cross. And that doesn't mean that things won't be found out. That doesn't mean that things won't be exposed. That doesn't even mean that people won't won't mock. But, you know, even some of you here who know what's being talked about here, you know that it doesn't even matter. I don't even feel ashamed. Because I know that Jesus has taken it all. He hung naked and open on the cross. He took it all. He felt it all. I don't even feel it anymore. All the shame was hung on him there at the tree at the cross of Calvary. Isaiah 49.23, Lindsay, will you read this? What about if I hope in the Lord? What about if I trust in the Lord? What if I bear my soul to the Lord? And then Romans 10.11, Kayla. And then it says, let those who deal treacherously without a cause. Those that, you know, it's interesting. You would think that treacherously without a cause, just, you know, just maybe the far off enemy that we never had a personal relationship and, you know, there they are, they're the Babylonians or they're the Assyrians and they're coming after me. But this, this, this goes really into an intimate relationship. You can see how Jesus is ultimately the hero of this text because someone dealing treacherously without a cause speaks of someone being unfaithful to you someone who would commit adultery, kind of that picture there, someone who would betray you or depart treacherously from you. And last night, the kids and us, were watching the, the Bible series on Netflix right now before we go to bed and just watching. Last night was Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. And, you know, Jesus is the one in the Psalms that talks about, man, if it was my enemy, I could handle it. But it's someone who was my own friend, who enjoyed sweet worship time with me in the sanctuary of the Lord. My own faithful friend that I trusted, that is who has betrayed me. And that's what hurts. David knew it. As you read uh, David being betrayed in in, uh, the Kings and the Chronicles. uh, And and Jesus knew it. In fact, Jesus knew it better than anybody. Uh, His own faithful friends betraying him and Judas Iscariot betraying him. Uh, Show me your ways, O Lord, verse 4. Teach me your paths. We sang that tonight, didn't we? You wondered why I picked that song? Show me, third day, right? Show me your ways. Got that gravelly song. God mean truth. Okay. Um, They're coming soon. And Warren Barfield, it's going to be a great concert. I've seen them together before. It's good. I lost my hearing, I thought, but it was really good. And Warren's hilarious. We're on a first name basis. No. Uh, so show me your ways. This is something we're going to see a theme in this 22 verses. Show me your way. Teach me your paths. We have that as the prayer of Moses. Uh, Shannon, will you read uh, Exodus 33:13 and then Stephanie, Isaiah 35:8? Okay, so real quick, that was the show me your ways. Moses was praying that. Uh, I want to know you. I want to find grace in your sight. Maybe you're here tonight. You just want to know the ways of the Lord. And it says, teach me your paths. I like what Isaiah calls the paths of the Lord. Um, was it Stephanie, you had Isaiah 35, 8 here. Do you guys like what's called the paths of the Lord there? What's it called? The highway of holiness. Highway to heaven, right? Jack, was it Jack London? Jack Landon, I don't know the guy's name. Jack London should have made a show about this. You know, the highway. Michael, Michael. Oh, my, I don't know. They're both famous. <laughs> highway of holiness. 
Even if you're a fool here tonight, all right? Man, the Lord has that road for us. The Lord has that road for the... And this is a theme in our psalm tonight. Even if you're a fool, God has a special path for you. He wants to teach it to you. If you'll just be a humble someone that would just humble yourself before the ways of the Lord, he'll teach you those ways tonight. But Jeremiah 6.16 shows us that Israel, although the Lord pled with them to walk in this highway of holiness, they wouldn't. Jeremiah 6.16, Aaron. Isn't that sad? Doesn't that grieve you guys? I mean, what a promise. Just stand in the ways. Ask for the old paths. That book that you got in your hands right there, right? Going back to the days of Abraham and even before then, there's a good way there. Walk in it. You'll find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good? Just rest. You don't have to strive anymore. But what was Israel's response? We will not walk in that. How can that be our hearts tonight? Man, even as we study these things, let's humble ourselves before the Lord and say, no, we will walk in that, Lord. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, our song was tonight, and walks in his ways, walks in his ways all the day yays of his life. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I like that in Hebrew, God of my salvation is Elohim Yisi, which when you really break it down means mighty Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Mighty Jesus, Elohim Yisi, mighty Jesus, God of my salvation. You are the God of my salvation. You are mighty Jesus. On you I wait all the day. And when you look at that in the Hebrew, it means I hope in you. Just all day long I'm waiting, all the day. I think of the Vaughn boys who live across the street from us. And, and, and our kids are so close to them. Jamie does daycare for us. And, I mean, they will just sit out there in the driveway and just wait for our car to come in. And the second week they get there, they're running over. And, you know, they got some task like, oh, I wanted to bring you this little thing that, you know, my dog chewed on. You should have this, you know. And then, and then my kids are, you know, you know, just running back, just waiting, waiting all the day, you know. And it literally means I'm waiting in ambush. I'm waiting in ambush for the Lord. Does that describe your walk with the Lord tonight? Some of us couldn't care less. Like, I guess I'll get you on Sunday. I'll catch you around the horn on Sunday when I come back around to do my religious activity. You know, and that's not David's heart. David is, I am waiting in ambush for you, Lord. You, you move or you show yourself, and, and here I am. And that was just a big theme at this pastor's conference this last week in Corvallis. You get to know Bob Caldwell or you know Rob Verdine at all. And those guys, they are just calling pastors, calling men, calling women, calling ministry leaders to intimacy with Christ, to waiting on the Lord. And I was just again refreshed to just pursue intimacy with the Lord. This weekend I had three long hikes with Jesus up at the church property in Corvallis, just positioning myself, quiet, listening. Just, Lord, whenever you want to say something, you just say it. I'm going to be praying. And, I just, and then yesterday I went on a long mountain bike ride and I just positioning myself in just the quiet place to hear from the Lord. I just, I don't want to miss it, Lord. If you were to say, say something, I want to jump on whatever it is that you would say. On you, I wait all the day. And God wants that for you guys. God has so much for you guys. Like, do you believe that? Like, do you even think that that's possible for you? 
God has so much for you in ways of relationship with Him and and hearing from Him and knowing Him and Him knowing you and being in ministry. Like, God has that for you. Every one of you. If you're a Christian here today, God has ministry for you. And just position yourself. Wait on the Lord all the day. Set yourself to ambush Jesus. If you show up, boom, I'm on it. Like, you're not getting by me, Lord. (laughs) You're not getting by me. Verse 6, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Ten times in the Psalms, the words tender mercies are used. Tender mercies, tender mercies. The sure mercies of David. Colossians 3 says, put on tender mercies for one another. And David's just like, remember, Lord, those tender mercies. Mercies, in the Hebrew, it means literally bowels of mercy. Just bowels, deep within. Just, you know, Jesus would have bowels of compassion in the New Testament. Just depths of compassion and mercy for the people. Lord, remember that, that you are that God. You are the God who has just deep mercy Loving kindness. Let's uh, look at Zechariah's prophecy of John the Baptist in Luke 1, 76 through 79. Nate, is that you? Is it your turn? Dr. Nate? So as New Testament Christians, we can cry out the, the prayer of David and we can cry out the prayer of Zechariah. Remember your tender mercies, Lord. Remember you sent... John the Baptist is the forerunner to prepare the way of the Messiah and make his ways straight. And he is going to come and he is going to be the tender mercy. He is just the epitome of tender mercies. He is the day spring from on high, giving light to those of us in darkness. If you're in darkness here today, come to the tender mercies. Come to the day spring. Come to the light. Look at Isaiah 55. Seven, Paula. I think it's on there. What do we got? Yep, it's on there. (laughs) We have this tender mercy. It's available for us tonight because of Jesus, because of the day spring. Abundant pardoning. Some of you raise your hand. I'm looking for pardon today. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus tonight. But notice also, not only tender mercies, but Loving kindnesses. That's plural of loving kindness. I like that. Do you like that? Loving kindnesses. I was trying to write it out in my program, and I think I put too many S's in it. Loving kindnesses. Right? 24 times in Psalms do we see loving kindnesses. What, What do you think one of the messages of the scriptures is? If the Lord's repeating something, loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness. That's five, six, loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness. It's just the Psalms. That's ten, loving kindness, loving kindness. What do you think one of the the messages that the Lord wants to have for his people? Loving kindness. Look at verse seven. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, there's mercy again, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Now we're all a bunch of perfect people here, but how about sins of my youth? 
Anybody got any sins of their youth that they'd love to have not remembered anymore? <laughs> yeah. Figured the Curvins would. Ah, just te- oh, come on. Okay. No. The Rogers do too. The Rogers do too. Lord, don't remember the sins of my middle school years, the sins of my high school years, the sins of my college years, the sins of my frat years and my sorority years and sins of my young married life. Lord, just as I was praying through this psalm, I, I, I lumped my psalms currently into that only 33. So I'm like, Lord, don't remember all that's going on right now. Lord, just don't remember it. These sins of my youth. Now notice verse 6 said, remember your tender mercies and loving kindnesses, but do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellions, or my crime. I think it was JFB who wrote, confessing past and present sins, he pleads for mercy, not on palliations of sin, or not on like a false removal of sin where they're still there, you're not really dealing with them, but on God's well-known benevolence. Confessing sins of my youth, I'm confessing current transgressions and rebellions and crimes against you, Lord, but I'm pleading for mercy because I know you're merciful. And in fact, last verse said, for they are of old. Those mercies are of old. We can tonight come and just plead the mercy of Jacob upon us, the mercy of Abraham upon us, the mercy of those dudes that would go and tell Pharaoh that, oh yeah, she's just my sister, you know, why don't you go ahead and take her? And then the Lord's like, how dare you? That's your wife. Don't be pawning her off and you're such so a chicken. Then he does it again to, a, you know, a different king and then son goes and does it. And the Lord was so merciful to Abraham. The Lord was so merciful to Isaac in those times. Lord, remember those mercies? They're from old. I need them now in 2015. Here in Prineville, here in Oregon. <clears throat> Jeremiah 3.25, Ken. All of that sins of my youth, my sins of my transgressions, my crimes, bringing them before the mercy seat. Did you know that that's what Jesus is sitting on at the right hand of the Father? It's called the mercy seat. And if you look at the picture of the tabernacle, the mercy seat was that Ark of the Covenant, and it was the top plate of the Ark of the Covenant. You had cherubim, sitting there worshiping towards the middle, then whatever was in the middle where the blood went, uh, that was where the glory of the Lord was. And that's just a picture of heaven where Jesus is. You've got cherubim worshiping day and night, facing towards him, covering eyes, covering legs, flying and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in the middle upon the mercy seat where the blood has been placed is Jesus. And we can turn to the mercy seat tonight. But notice all of that, he doesn't say uh, for my sake or for my name's sake. Who's it for? It's for your goodness sake. Look at verse 7 at the end. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Perhaps David was the first one to coin the phrase, for goodness sake. In fact, last night we were praying before bed and Russell was praying out, how did he put it? Something praying for the nations like, 
You remember? He's like, just help him for goodness sake, <laughs> you know. Just, I remember I was like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, Russell, you're just like David crying out. But it's for your goodness sake, Lord. For your fame, for your renown, so that people would know you're good, you're beautiful. Um, verses 8 through 22 begin the second part of our psalm, which is reiteration of the prayer. Nice outline, huh? It's, it's basically a repeating of that. But now the prayer is grounded on the character of the Lord. Verse 8 starts out with the character of the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The Lord is beautiful. He's pleasing. He is upright. He is straight and level is what that means. So remember, verse 7 said, for your goodness sake. And then it says, oh, and you are good. You are good. You are beautiful. You are pleasing. You are not perverted, which means crooked. You're not perverted, Lord. You're straight and level and good. You're plumb. <laughs> and so because of that, he teaches sinners in the way. This is, again, that theme of teaching, showing us the way, guiding us in truth. Matthew eleven nineteen says that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Anybody here? Sinner? Jesus is the friend of sinners. And so he teaches sinners in the way. If you're a sinner, don't be condemned tonight. You can come to Jesus and have that shame and condemnation taken away. You can come to Jesus and he doesn't expect you to be perfect when you come to him. That's like cleaning a fish before you catch it. He wants you to come to him and then he will clean you, sinner. Then he will teach you his way. He will guide you in the way. He's the friend of sinners. Let's look at uh, Micah 4.2, Blaine. We're skipping the Proverbs 2.1 and we're going to... Um, yeah, many nations. I don't know why the reference hasn't been on there. So just new covenant. What we have now as New Testament Christians is the law going forth into our hearts, Jeremiah 33 would say. Um, let's just look. Uh, we could go through all sorts of tons of verses of the Lord just teaching us his ways. Look at um, Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30. Jerry, would you read that? So he teaches sinners in the way. He's the friend of sinners. And he just says, come, learn from me. I'm going to teach you gently. And, uh, uh, I remember my dad... Uh, well, we had a friend named Willie. He lives in Bend now. But clear back in the, in the day, Willie has this crazy chromosomal disease. And my dad was a veterinarian and went out to Willie's ranch uh, to work their cattle. And Willie was supposed to go in the next day to have a tumor uh, removed. And my dad said, hey, if I pray for you and God heals you, will you come to church tomorrow night with us? And so um, my dad prayed for him. Tumor was gone. Willie was at church the next night and uh, is, is saved now because of the testimony of my dad there. But he had this horse. It was this Appaloosa crazy horse uh, whose name was Chaos. There's an old wives' tale that whatever you name your, your horse, that's how they're going to act. And so uh, my dad was like, okay, I'll take Chaos and I'll break him. And, and um, there's also an old wives' tale that the more white a horse has in their eyes, the more crazy they are. No offense to old wives, but uh, this horse had like, 
this horse had a tiny little dot for a pupil. And like the rest of it was... And uh, so we took this horse in, and this horse is just crazy. And his name's Chaos, and he's got a little tiny pupil, you know. And like, my dad renamed him Joe. And, uh, and my dad, you know, getting this horse, and just, just working in this horse, and just starting to have some just great things happen in this horse. And my dad stopped and was just so pleased on this horse. This is just, this is just wonderful. And took his hanky out to blow his nose and just fluttered out the hanky and, <laughs> you know, just like, you know. I think that that horse is in your children's craft cupboards right now in an Elmer Glue's jar. But the Lord is a lot more compassionate and merciful and lovingly kind because he takes the sinners. He takes the chaos. He takes the ones that come to him that have like one little pupil and they're like, you know, and he's like, don't worry. I'm going to give you a new name. You know, I'm going to be gentle with you. Take I just, this wasn't in my notes. It just comes up, right? And maybe that's a word from the Lord for you tonight. You've got a tiny pupil and you have an old wife. I don't know. And just God. Okay. Praise God. Okay. Look at verse 9. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. So we have guiding, we have teaching. Who does the Lord guide and teach? The humble. Those that don't act like they've got it all figured out. And you can't tell me nothing. I know it all. I've been around the block. I'm in my mid-30s, you know. Like, hold on a minute. You don't got it all figured out. Humble yourself for a minute. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord. So we have that path, the way, the highway of holiness. Remember, the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimony. So there's mercy for you tonight. There's truth for you tonight. But you've got to be humble. You've got to be someone that's going to humble yourself and say, okay, okay. Like God's laying out his highway to holiness for me. He's laying out his paths. I've got to, I've got to walk in that. And there will be mercy. There's, you know, there's a bit of man's responsibility here, a bit of man's role. You've got to follow this. And those things will be true for you tonight. And uh, look at Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It's those who love God. And those who are called, loving God and being called by God. And so will you humble yourself tonight as much as would depend on you tonight? Just come before the Lord in humility and follow in his ways. And there will be mercy for you tonight. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. In verse 7, it was for the Lord's goodness sake. David wanted to be remembered in mercy, right? Here it is, for his name's sake, or for his fame, for the, Lord's, for the Lord's renown, for the Lord's glory. You guys, this is the end of all ends here, that God would be glorified, that God would be just, his glory would be known, for his name to be famous. That is the chief end of men, and that is the chief end of God. God exists for his own glory, and we exist for his own glory. It doesn't mean there's other, not other wonderful things in there. But those other wonderful things aren't the end of themselves. All of those wonderful things of God and of man and of creation, it all is to the epitome of his 
glory. And that's why our vision statement as a church, what are we here for on the wall over there? We exist as Calvary Chapel to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't end there. All of that is for the glory of God. It's for His goodness sake. It's for His name's sake. For His revealed character to be known. Verse 12, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Now, this is a great verse, and it would be one that we could so quickly twist into a prosperity theology key verse. Like, see, God wants us to be prosperous. And, and you know what? There is a wonderful verse here about, man, if we would fear the Lord and follow the Lord in the way that he teaches, uh, that, then we will have prosperity. But for, there's, there's, you've got to look at the whole theology of prosperity in the scriptures. When God does bless us with abundance and yield and harvest and wealth and treasure, it doesn't end on us just, just you know, heaping up treasures in this earth so that we can build ourselves a kingdom and our name for ourselves. All those blessings are to be used to be spent for God's glory and his way of salvation to be known among the whole earth. Our prosperity isn't on this side of eternity to be just used here to live in the lap of luxury. There will be a day where we will live in the lap of luxury. It's the whole his kingdom come part. But right now, it's not for us to live in the lap of luxury. To get I've been using a word fat and sassy, and it just describes myself if I'm living for myself. We're to, we're to use those treasures and the, the wonderful prosperity and goodness from the Lord so that all of the descendants shall inherit the earth, so that there would be uh, a descendancy. I guess, generations that would know Jesus, that would inherit this earth. Uh, Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So much does the Lord have to say about revealing himself to us. This has been a theme throughout this psalm. But look at John 15, 15. Um, Tabitha, will you read the screen up there? So we're not servants anymore. We're friends. The Lord is keying us in to his plan and his will. One thing that I think about in this is that, you know, we use that verse that like, no one really knows what heaven's going to be like. And we go to 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things God's prepared for those who love him. We just don't know. Well, then the very next verse says, ah, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Through his spirit, he's made it known. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And then that verse, just the whole context is that God has made the mysteries known to us of who he is and what he's prepared. Now, there are mysteries that, you know, one day we're going to know it all. But he is very generous in teaching sinners his way. The rest of this chapter, we're going to breeze through here. Verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. It kind of has that. I wait for you all day, Lord. I wait for you all day. My eyes are always on you. He's going to pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me. Have mercy on me, for I'm desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Just again, he's just aware of 
sin in his life, confessing it to the Lord. Um, A.P. Ross writes, the psalm strongly links the prayer for deliverance and guidance to confession of sin. The way of the Lord requires this. For the Lord to move in our midst, there needs to be humility of who we are before the Lord, brokenness before him, confessing sin before him, being healed of our sin. Verse 19, consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred or with violent hatred. <clears throat> Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. These are repeated things, right? This isn't new to us now. Verse 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So how many times has he confessed sin before the Lord? Made it known, I'm a sinner, I've got sins from my youth, I've got transgressions, I've got rebellions, I've got crimes against you, Lord. Forgive me. Lead me in your ways now. Now that I've confessed your sin, be that friend of sinners and guide me in your ways and lead me in truth. And then, let integrity, uprightness preserve me. Remember the difference is um, not... Uh, the opposite of uprightness is perversion. And so we're not perverts anymore. We're not crooked anymore. We've got integrity, character, virtue. We're not perverts anymore. We are upright and level and straight by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. He wants to teach us how to be straight, how to be uh, on the straight and narrow. Uprightness and integrity preserves me. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all their troubles. And so why don't we go ahead and set our Bibles aside tonight, and we're going to uh, go ahead and uh, go to prayer. And in just a few minutes, we'll pray for Russia. That was our nation of prayer focus tonight. And Aaron, I'm just going to have you share the ways that we can pray for Russia in just a little bit. Um, but tonight we've focused on the cross. We focused on Jesus and his mercy, his abundant mercies that are from old. We focused on his loving kindnesses. That there's forgiveness of sin available tonight to those that would come. There's guidance for us on how to not sin anymore. He wants to teach us his ways. He wants to be that friend of sinners and teach us how to walk on his path. His path that is narrow. His path that is straight. Jesus says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to life. And so just how wonderful as we come tonight, there's people who raise their hands like, I'm in need of guidance tonight. And there's people tonight who raise their hand, I'm, I'm in need of pardon tonight. And the Lord wants to give all of that. In fact, those of us that hadn't raised our hands, you know, we know that that's, well, we need, we're thankful for pardon, that we've been given pardon. We're thankful that he's been teaching us his ways. Thankful for the abundant mercy that's found in Jesus. Why don't we just bring our hearts before the Lord tonight uh, and just prepare, uh, prepare to respond to him tonight as the Lord would lead.
It's just a song right now about what he's done, how he's bought our life, how he's paid for our sins, how he's changed us. This could just be a prayer, just leading us in how to respond tonight to the Lord. You bought my life with the blood that you shed on the cross when you died for the sins of men and you let out a cry crucified now alive in me these hands are yours these hands are yours teach them to serve as you please and I'll reach out desperate to see all the greatness of God let my soul rest assured in you I'll never be the same no I'll never be the same because I know Christ, you changed it all, you broke down the wall when I spoke and confessed, in you I'm blessed, now I walk in the light, in victorious I love you, let's sing these hands are yours, teach them. hands are yours teach them to serve as you please and I'll reach out desperate to see all the greatness of God may my soul rest assured in you I'll never be the same let's stand I'll never be the same No, I'll never be the same Cause I know you're alive You came to fix my broken life And I'll sing to your holy name Jesus Christ just the New Testament brings us the good news that the sins of our youth and the presumptuous sins, the 
rebellion against the Lord. We could never not rebel. Sin made that in us to where we were just just utterly depraved. On our best day, we were sinners. But Jesus came, and what we could not do, and that we were weak in the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was obedient. He conquered sin. He died on the cross so that anyone who would believe on Him would be made as pure as Jesus. And those of you that were coming tonight seeking pardon, just come just with that same faith of David. Just, Lord, I trust You tonight. Just put your trust in Him and let Him put on you His purity, His perfection. Wait on the Lord tonight and just wait all the day. Wait to ambush Him. And here He is right now, so jump on Him. Jump on the Lord right now and just say, okay, Lord, I'm just clinging to you right now. What you've done for me, I couldn't have done it, but you came and did it. And I will never be the same. Just right now, God wants to just forgive your sins if you would just let Him. If you would just receive forgiveness of sins tonight. He wants to come in and take out your broken heart, your rebellious heart, your stubborn heart. He wants to put in you a, a new heart, that, the new covenant heart, the, the, the heart of Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 31, I believe it is, where you'll be given a new heart. A heart that doesn't have to be told, hey, you need to know God. But a heart that would just already know God. A heart that would not be a heart of stone anymore, but a heart that is a heart of flesh that beats and is alive. And God wants to do that in you tonight. And maybe there's some of you, you're Christians, and you would come to Wednesday night tonight, and just, the Lord would just remind you from His Word tonight, hey, you don't have a heart of stone anymore. I've given you a heart of flesh. I've taken your shame upon me. And you're in that process right now where I'm teaching you my ways. And you just need to know it's my grace tonight. It's my mercy tonight. It's my loving kindnesses tonight that I would bring you here to Wednesday night Bible study and remind you of that. I didn't leave you as an orphan that you would have to go out and try to figure it out on your own. I've brought you into my house tonight to remind you of what I've done. I'm reminding you of who you are without me and how much you need me. And just this song just tells us that the new covenant also is that when Jesus ascended, He didn't leave us as orphans, but He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us and to empower us that we would know Him and that we would care about those things tonight. And the Holy Spirit coming in power is likened to fire coming in power and consuming the chaff and consuming the worthless stuff in our life and just combusting inside our life just with power so that we can live for Him, so that we could attempt great things for Him and expect great things from Him. And He would move in our life. <coughs> and so this song goes from, you've bought my life with the precious blood shed on the cross, I'll never be the same, 
You came and fixed my broken life. And now there's a song, a part of the song that says, so fire fall down on us, we pray as we seek you. And we're just going to pray out right now that the Holy Spirit, the fire and the person and work of the Holy Spirit would just combust in our hearts and give us a new passion for him and for his ways tonight.